Hello everyone, welcome to the Going Viral podcast. This is episode one or part one of a five-part podcast. Today, uh, we're going to be talking a little bit about how students are dealing with and how universities and institutions are dealing with the current COVID-19 pandemic. And joined by me is an esteemed lecturer of Nottingham, Dr. Fuad Rahmat. How, how's everything, Fuad? How are you? I'm okay, man. Can't complain. Looking forward to resume quote-unquote normal life. Yeah, and then Raya's around the corner. You know, obviously spirits aren't the highest at this point, but, you know, we make do, I guess. On on the note of Raya, do you think the current extension to June 6th is enough? Uh, I, I read online somewhere that <laughs> apparently people are allowed to visit their relatives on the first day of yep. Raya. Yep. And personally, I think that's not really a smart decision. I, I I wonder what your take is on that. I think anytime the government announces some kind of date, I now keep in mind that its uh, provisionary date is probably going to revise, probably going to get updates and announcements from the government uh, at some point before June 6, either as an update or maybe even breaking news. You know, it's hard to tell nowadays. So I suspect that date will be revised and we'll be given a new set of guidelines and stuff like that as they consider their options, you know. Uh, So the date doesn't really bother me that much, but I do wonder if people will take the government's conditions very seriously, you know, when they say that you got to, you know, you got to keep crowds uh, of to like a minimum or maximum of 20, uh, only visit your family. I just don't see Malays really sticking to that. <laughs> and 20 for, you know, given how big Malay families are, that's quite small. Uh, so I don't see it being taken seriously. People were not taking things seriously at the height of the pandemic. You know, people were trying to break the rules, sneak around roadblocks, people were defying the cops. So I don't see that changing now. In fact, people might even take more liberties on their own. I think people already are to a certain degree because I felt like having uh, outside food because I hadn't eaten any food apart from home food in a long time. My dad's driver went to the local Nasikanda shop nearby and apparently the lines, they, there was no social distancing observed in the lines there. And uh, there were even cops in queue to buy the Nasikanda who probably were off duty. So in a sense, it feels like a lot of the people who are upholding the rules are only upholding the rules when they are on duty. Uh, maybe maybe because, you know, quote unquote, this, the uh, Kada is declared as a green zone. So right. people are starting to take it a lot easier. Do you think that with how the government are announcing dates two weeks at a time, um, saying that the MCO is going to be until this date and then they extend it by two weeks. Do you think it's better if we do something like what's happening in Japan where they announce, they say that their version of MCO is going to last for six months and if it does clear up earlier, then they lift it earlier. I think that might be better or do you think it'll cause a lot of distress among the people and cause them to not follow the rules? I think the latter. I think a lot of, there were just a lot of uncertainties in the build up to the situation, you know, like political uncertainties as well. Yeah. Right. Uh, Muhyiddin assumed power and then this pretty much was the first decision he made, you know, and people not quite confident with him as a leader, people not quite confident in the government. So to make sweeping demands immediately might have been too much to ask. I think uh, he knew too that he needed to win people's confidence gradually and that he had a lot to prove. So yeah. I think something gradual made the most sense at that time. Plus, it's hard to really know what we're dealing with. And at that point, there was very little information. I think if I'm not mistaken, New Zealand 
decided to do the MCO a lot later than we did. Yeah. And I think a lot of that had to do with the fact that there was little information to go by. So I think given that there were so many unknowns, a uh, mm. more gradual approach uh, was better. You know, And I think in that sense, so far, we've done everything as we should. I don't know. I mean, you know, what you're telling me about that Nasi Kanda restaurant isn't making me feel better about things. But <laughs> so far, I think all, all things considered, this is the best way things could have turned out. But say we don't know a lot of things about the actual numbers that we should be thinking about. And, you know, people are starting to uh, bring politics back too into the news. Right. So yeah. what's going to happen after this? So we don't know. So things could actually get worse. But so far, I think we're doing okay. And considering where Europe is now, where America is now, I think we have a lot to be proud of. Yeah. Uh, my heart goes out to what happened to people in Italy and Spain, is, uh, especially because it hit them so fast. And be- like the rest of the world had time to react based on what happened, what was happening there. But, uh, you know, I-, I thank my lucky stars every day that Malaysia is handling handling it in the way that it is being handled. But there are still things that I disagree with. For example, them opening restaurants and allowing people to observe social distancing in restaurants. Eating at a restaurant is a luxury and is a luxury that I don't think we should take a risk on because even if one person dies, it's not worth. Totally. I agree. I agree. How good is that meal that you're willing to risk your life for? Yeah. But I hear Nasi Kanda is good in the north. So maybe, you know, I don't know. So let's go into a little bit of what's happening with Nottingham. Were you in the know-how of what was happening during the early stages of the MCO? Can you give us some insight? Uh, no, nobody knew because nobody knew what the MCO was going to entail. The general outlines were quite clear. Stay at home. They're going to do mass testing and try to break the chain of, of infection and stuff like that. But in terms of what a university should do, those things were really left to the administration. And they too had the disagreements. Basically, some were prioritizing the schedule. You know, let's mm-hmm. do things as closely to uh, what was planned as much as possible. But there were people throwing out the possibility of extending, delaying the semester. Uh, so it was just really chaotic, actually. And yeah. Uh, we were left in the dark for quite a bit, you know, mm-hmm. and uh, that just affected classes, uh, just affected morale in general. So basically mass confusion until until we knew, you know, what to do. How did you, I mean, you probably had a lot of an easier time adapting than some of the other lecturers. Some of them really struggled with the technology aspect of having classes and assessments online. Did you roughly know what you were going to do about your classes and how you were going to handle all that? Or was it something that uh, over time you had to figure out and struggle with? In a sense, my classes were among the easier ones to transition. Mm-hmm. This applies largely for communications classes in general, unlike the sciences mm-hmm. or engineering where you need labs and you need material to work with. You know, a lot of the stuff that we do is largely based on our media experiences. Yeah. So we can just turn to that. And the fact that we really know about COVID largely through social media as well, through the internet, it's really an internet phenomenon. You think about it. Yeah. Uh, helps in the sense that I can just make references and draw examples through the media. So it's a lot less for me to transition. I do know that uh, my colleagues from other faculties 
did have issues and that was part of the delay but it was also understandable in the sense that yeah. it was it wasn't just that they needed actual physical material to do the work but that w- that was how they were going to evaluate students yeah. so it was much much harder so for me it was quite seamless in the sense that uh, my lectures tend to be very conceptual anyway the content tends to be more based on ideas and and mm-hmm. theories so there wasn't that much for me to change actually my only concern was the dynamic in the sense that i couldn't really tell how the class was responding to me were you happy with how the class responded to you yeah yeah actually i felt that the class became even more responsive because they would chime in on the the sort of the text section of teams mm-hmm. and that was actually more feedback from the class than i ever gotten you know in a while you know because I, as you can tell our courses tend to be very concept heavy yeah what it means is that there's, there's a little bit of processing that has to happen mm-hmm. before the ideas sink in mm-hmm. and people are more hesitant to to kind of articulate those ideas where you know on text or behind the screen they feel less less self-conscious so i find that people were more willing to participate that way but that said it's only still a small portion of the class who did that what teachers and lecturers do is they turn to the class for cues. You yeah. know, I'm explaining something. Your facial reactions go a long way in letting me know how you're processing the information. Do you agree? Are you paying attention? Mm-hmm. Uh, is this thing resonating with you? All those things I'm reading from body language and facial expressions. Yeah. So there's actually a lot that the physical setup allows me to do that yeah. I cannot do online. So to me, that was lost. And I felt that was a bit of a compromise on my own performance. Mm-hmm. But that to me was a small thing because at the end of the day, you know, we got through. In mm-hmm. fact, my mentality at that point was just to survive the semester, just to survive the weeks of lectures. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think in that regard, you know, we did well. Yeah. I honestly enjoyed having the classes through this format. Would you consider incorporating this style of teaching in some parts of your lectures? I would actually, I wouldn't mind it at all, but I would have to think of something a little bit more productive than a lecture. You know? Yeah. So I wouldn't know what that is yet, but because I haven't thought about it. But the doors but are did, open now. Yeah, yeah, it did cross my, it still, it still is something I think about, you know, because uh, there's something about the ease of interaction online that I think pretty underrated, you know, that hasn't been explored yet. And I think you're right, it could be, a component to accompany the actual physical classes, you know? Yeah. So, um, yeah, yeah, that's something that, that, um, that I'm considering as well. And I kind of like it. I think a lot of it has to do with the fact that everybody's a bit more comfortable because I know people are listening out of their phones, mm-hmm. you know, they're, um, they're Googling stuff a lot more without hesitation. So they can, they can add to the information I'm sharing too, you know, and, and, you know, some of them might be in bed while they're listening to the lecture. I have no issues with that because they're comfortable at the end of the day, right? It's not really an overt display of rudeness or whatever because I can't see them anyway. But the comfort is something that is refreshing. The fact that they can just chill throughout the class, which means that paying attention is far less of a demanding task than, you know, say in an actual class where paying attention is actually like something you have to exert, you know? Yeah. So so the fact that the students can pay attention sort of effortlessly to me is is something valuable. 
On the flip side of that, though, were there any concerns that you had about your lectures being monitored? Because we do discuss quite a lot of sensitive stuff. And um, did it concern you in any way, shape or form? Not really, because I felt that I was a little bit more hesitant online than in person, because in person, in class, I kind of forget that I have to sort of be sort of schema or be very standard, right? So because I go off on tangents and I kind of bring anecdote samples or non-academic, the things that are not conventionally academic just to kind of make certain points. So yeah. I felt in my actual classes, I'm a little bit more, I would just say, uh, unconventional. Mm-hmm. You know, in fact, I felt a little bit more careful on on the online lectures. You know, I don't know if that came across, but that was definitely my posture, you know, because it's just new. It's just new territory for me. I think during the first few lectures, we could fe- we could feel that you were a bit more guarded. But as the semester progressed during the lockdown, we sort of felt that uh, you got more comfortable with speaking to us online and articulating what your normal way of teaching. Interesting. Interesting. Okay, cool, cool. I keep that in mind, yeah. I haven't really uh, assessed myself online. And that's the other thing as well. We're always improving. We're always trying to improve how we how we do in classes from postures to tone to examples to, you know, using tech or whatever in the classroom and stuff like that. But uh, we can only reflect substantially after enough time has passed in the sense that we've done it enough times to kind of refer to things. So right now, I think there's it's just... It's just been too short of a time that I've done the online thing. So hasn't really been something I've processed. But I mean, yeah, something to keep in mind, something for me to think about too, actually. Yeah. So with, with the whole MCO, a lot of people, especially at the beginning of the MCO, had a lot of trouble getting back home because they were given a window of one or two days to travel, which meant that a lot of students were stuck on campus or in surrounding accommodations for quite some time. Had you been contacted by any of the students or voicing out their concerns? Did you hear any of the problems from the students? And Yeah, a lot, a lot, actually. And we were also encouraged to give a lot of students leeway as well mm-hmm. in terms of accommodating their different situations. Uh, international students had it tough in particular because if you're coming from the UK and you suddenly have to follow lectures online. You, you have to wake up at 2 or 4 a.m. in the morning just to survive yeah. a lecture online, which isn't easy to follow in the first place, right? So so these things crept up, um, but I have very supportive colleagues. And for the most part, I think the university, at least on the faculty side of things, did their best. You know, yeah. it was a very difficult situation. Everybody was improvising. And I think they erred on the side of caution and gave us the best response we could have asked for. So in that, they were actually stressing how we, we should be considerate, basically, of what students were going through um, and just as much as possible. Yeah, but for the most part, at least for the set of students I'm dealing with this semester, no one was really stuck in the sense that they couldn't somehow adjust or transition to online learning. Maybe there were some difficulties in the beginning, but in the end, everybody managed. And I realized too, at some point they wanted things to do because the MCO, the idea of just staying in and just binging on social media or something is nice for three days or something. But after that, they realized, well, they need stimulation. They need engagement. They need to do something. They need, they need some semblance of routine. So even some of the students who are not necessarily the best about attendance yeah. attended regularly. I was surprised about that. <laughs> so I was like, I look at the attendance list. I look at who, who, who was present and I realized, 
wow, this this kid who isn't known for coming to class tended throughout. I, she didn't really participate, but she sat through it. That's why it showed. So I'm like, okay. So there were just these little twists you know, that made things a little different, you know, that made things interesting too. How much of that do you think is because they are around their parents, so they have to show that they are doing something? Well, that's partly, yeah, maybe that's <laughs> it, actually, yeah. <laughs> maybe that's it. Well, you know, it goes both ways, right? Maybe they don't want to be having to talk to their parents all the time or just to be in their presence all the time. So having something proper to do is, yeah. is welcome distraction, right? So it turned out better than I thought. I was a little bit pessimistic, actually. Mm-hmm. In the beginning, um, we just lose morale, you know, we just lose interest. But in the end, there was a sense that I think everybody wanted, you know, for just to put it simply, things to do, you know, it can get very, very boring. Uh, yeah, boring. And, and just like, um, yeah, you do want engagement, you know, and at least there's that, at least there are those lectures that help. With the lack of things to do, with things being as mundane as it is, how much do you think mental health issues among students and even staff is going to come as a result of the current global situation? I think the first obstacle for staff, you know, the first concern is just feeling long-term security because the economy is tanking as we speak. What it means is that you're going to have less uh, university enrollment because people are just not going to pay top dollar for education anymore. You know, people are going to think long and hard about it because getting education for what? The job market is tough. It's been tough for like the past seven years. So now that has just been, it's just more starkly in our faces. Um, and you hear news about the the education industry struggling worldwide, right? And this is not just for the smaller private colleges or public universities, but even the more established universities are struggling. So I think especially for my cohorts, especially those with families, that that would be their first stressor to make sure that uh, they keep their head above water throughout all this. So that would be the most immediate thing. You know, as for students, I'm less in touch with uh, that aspect of their experience. I do wonder, though, and this is my question to you, how you're managing this transition, because you're about to enter the job market at a very difficult time. And it's quite nebulous, right? Because you're expecting to end the semester with a bang and then suddenly this happens, right? And there's something very cold about it. There's something so unceremonious about the ending, which is supposed to be this eventful mark in your life. I would find that difficult to process. Because you've put in three years of hard work, three years of investment, yeah. especially for you coming out of medical school, trying to find an alternative path in this major. And then suddenly you can't really see a horizon, sort of hard to tell where you're going to go. So I think that is quite an existential challenge. In addition to the fact that you are the generation of you know, crises, right? Economic crises, environmental crises. You kind of came of age at a time when there's just a lot of bad news, right? Whereas for me, growing up in the 90s, it was just all optimism. In the mm. 90s, I wish you can kind of have a glimpse of it. It's a different planet from now. Like yeah. the climate was such that things can only get better. And I feel yeah. like by the time your generation is graduating, it's a total 180. Yeah. So I don't know. I don't know. I mean, I was born the early 90s, so I got 
a little bit of a glimpse of the 90s while growing up. For myself, I was just looking forward to just getting my degree because it's more a ticket back to the working world for me. I, I, I worked for a couple of years between medical school and, and joining here. And the only thing that kept me from continuing working was basically the pay ceiling. So um, especially in media, I guess I don't want to sound brash, but I have confidence in my skills and, and in my marketability. So I, I think that I should be fine. So yeah, I, I'm actually looking forward to finishing. Yeah. At the same time, I'm not too bothered by the job market right now because I know that there are a lot of things and a lot of skills I want to use this downtime on working on. I've not really been bored. I haven't left the house. I think like, I'm, as I mentioned earlier, I've not left the house once, not even to park the car inside. But on that, I'd like to thank you so much for actually taking the time off. To, no problem. No problem. To, Happy to help. To join me. No and problem. stay safe, Fuad. Stay okay. safe. You too, man. <laughs> Take care, man. Don't unfasten your face masks yet, yo. The next episode is going to tackle how students are going to deal with the upcoming graduations in light of the COVID-19 pandemic. Stay tuned and stay safe.